Three Jewish funerals and Israel mourns again. My thoughts on this weekend's tragic terrorist attack, but also some good news. How to be a good Jew. Hey, Alma has their opinions, and I have mine. And Anat Ishai is here, otherwise known as the Dancing Kala Queen, an Instagram sensation. I'm so excited to talk to her. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and humble host coming at you from the land of Israel. The land that belongs to the Jewish people, always has and always will. This is episode 85. All right. Positive stuff first. It is with gratitude to Hashem that I bring you the wonderful news that my sister Rachla had a baby boy. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've been FaceTiming them for the last hour. Of course, they're not picking up. They're like, we'll FaceTime in the morning. But I need proof. I need photo evidence right now that my beloved sister has had a baby boy because I am so excited. That baby is going to be so loved. So I just wanted to share that and start this episode off with some joy. That said, it's going to be a downer. And I wish it didn't have to be, but we are Jews and we mourn together. So why should I sit here in Eretz Yisrael and cry by myself if I could cry with all of you? Uh, And if you're not sure what to cry about, well, over the weekend, we've had a tremendous, tremendous tragedy transpire here in Israel, and we are all just reeling from the horror of it. Um, I saw some photographs that I'll never forget, and, you know, I sent my seven-year-old off to school today thinking these boys were my son's age. He's my baby, you know, and the whole wretchedness of it all little kids going to wherever they were going for Shabbos, excited, dressed for Shabbos, and a car comes at them full speed and drives over them and then goes back and drives over them again. It's just horrifying. So we cry. You know, I call my friend Tova from the Shook. Every time there's a terrorist attack, I call her, and we talk, and we rage, you know, and then we move on, but it's just so devastating that terrorism, it just stops people's lives, it just takes the humanity out of our experience, like, where is the humanity, where is the humanity, that that religion can make people do this? Ooh, <laughs> breathe. So what did I do? I spent Shabbos reading, and I find tremendous inspiration in reading meaningful books. I highly recommend this book. It's called The Non-Orthodox Jews Guide to Orthodox Jews. I didn't like the cover, so I took off the cover and threw it away. Sorry, it's just a dated cover of a from family and a not from family. And the not from family is pointing at the from family, and you... Yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> So I threw off the cover, but this is by David Baum, and it's just so beautifully written. All the beautiful things about Yiddishkeit explained in such a clear, precise, and such a beautifully written way. So I take comfort in reading um, about the Jewish people, about our history, about our merits, um, about our strength, about our miracles. And I'm reminded that we are in Gullus. We are in Gullus, and Gullus is a very, very dark place for a Jew. And we are all f- very much feeling our exile 
these days, wherever we are. And it's painful. It's really, really painful. I've read so many books on this topic as an American who made Aliyah and never experienced terrorism. And I remember before we moved, people saying, everyone in Israel knows someone who was affected by terrorism. And I thought, hmm, I don't know anyone in Israel who knows anyone affected by terrorism, let alone myself. And here I am, it's five years later, and every single terrorist attack has been personal on some level. I've been able to identify with the victim, the family, the grief, the loss as a country, the loss as a people. And yeah, in some cases it was personal. And I knew that person, like Ari Fold. I used to listen to his podcast. And when he was killed, I was just like, like what, what the, you know, like what? I seriously? Uh, yeah, so, and then, you know, the psychological aspect of seeing such a horrific, violent, um, just disgraceful display of wickedness and evil unfold in front of your eyes and think there are people capable of doing this. There are people motivated to do this. There are people who are excited to do this. There are people who are honored to do this. There are people who are paid to do this. It's really, really frightening. It's really, really frightening because how do you fight hate? How do you fight a doctrine that has been deeply embedded already for generations into a large swath of the people on this planet. It, it's, it's hard to explain, but the only answer is it exists and it's happening and it's right underneath our noses and there are people all around the world that will teach their children that it's okay in the name of Allah to do whatever is necessary to kill other people's children in the most violent way possible over a tiny strip of land, a tiny strip of land that they know is not theirs. And we can get into that. We can do an entire detailed play-by-play reenactment of what took place from when the Palestinians, and I always use Palestinians in air quotes because there are no such thing as Palestinians. There are Arabs that were in Israel in the 19, early 1900s, and they were Bedouins and peasants and farmers and living in tents, and the place was dry and full of mosquitoes, and they were just vagabonds, Muslim vagabonds, just walking around with lafas on their head. Okay, And then the Jews came. The Jews came after the Holocaust, broken, sabrachan, traumatized, crawled into Israel, cr- crawled into Israel. And the Farkakta British only made it harder, Yamach And then they finally clawed their way into Israel. And they realized that this land has been neglected. And no one has cared for it or made it grow. And they, they were so excited to toil and, and, and build on Eretz Yisrael that, that the country is, is incredible. I mean, Tel Aviv is just, it used to be a swamp. And now it's a massive metropolitan with, with a huge army base and, and, and an amazing, vibrant, diverse community of creative and talented and respectable people who are putting things out into the world, good things out into the world, because Israel is a purveyor of peace and goodness and kindness and love and help and aid and pa- all the good things, all the good things. Oh, but evil persists. 
damn Arabs. Damn Arabs. And we sit and we discuss and we wonder and we debate. And every yokel has an opinion and every politician thinks they can figure it out. And at every Shabbos table around the world, we have the same conversation. What's going to happen in Israel? How is this going to end? The answer is right in front of you, folks. Nothing else has worked. There's only one answer, and we all know what it is. Mashiach. Mashiach. To switch things now to a point where we can come back to Israel safe and sound and build the kingdom of David once again here in Yerushalayim with the support and respect of the world and the admiration of the world as we rebuild our third temple, our third and final temple on the Har Habayis, on the Temple Mount, the only way that's going to unfold is in a miraculous way with God involved. And the only answer to what's going on right now is Mashiach, because with Mashiach comes that era of peace where godliness is revealed and where it's impossible to miss. And then, and only then, will we be able to do what we were put here to do, and that is be a light onto the world and to bring the nations of the world close to God, the one God, the one true God of us all. And that's the goal. And that's the goal, and it's always been. The goal is to come closer to God. The goal is to worship God. And the goal is to build the third temple and invoke an era of peace, peace and harmony, the lion and the lamb and the whole deal, fruits from the trees and man and the base of Migdash and miracles and no wheelchairs and everything, all the good stuff, peace, prosperity, and an era that will bring joy and, and harmony amongst all the nations. It will benefit all of mankind. So that's what we believe. It's part of the 13 principles of faith. That is what we have to believe as Jews. And while it's painful to watch a mother bury her two children, while it's so deeply, deeply painful, and we do mourn together, we have to remember that Mashiach will come and every lost Jew will be reunited with his loved ones, with his mother, Hannah and her seven sons, and all of the brokenhearted mothers that tore their clothes because of a terrorist, a murderer, a Kazakh, a Nazi. They'll all be finally reunited with their sons, sweet, sweet sons. And over and over in history, the Greeks, the Romans, Amalek, you name him, Egypt, they all have tried to kill, they all have killed the Jews. I'm just saying, they've all killed Jews the world over, the world over. So, yeah, this morning we recognize it and we internalize it and we say a capital of Tehillim for these boys and for their dear, dear mother, their poor, poor mother. And we carry on and we carry on with hope, with healing, with love, with mitzvahs, with Ahavas Yisrael, with listening to my podcast. <laughs> 
and we carry on and we do what we have to do. Uh, all right. How's that for an intro? This week's episode of the Weekly Squeeze has been brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity is the place for any Jew to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And yes, it's free, a free service where a concierge will personally match you up with the therapist that you are searching for. OKClarity's professionals are vetted. They have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. And their website is full of incredible therapists that will help you get through those hard times. If you're in the market for a therapist, a coach, or the like, or you are a wellness professional looking to increase your client base, or you simply want more online exposure, check them out. I'm putting a link in the show notes. So whether you're navigating uh, difficult relationships or struggling with emotional well-being or just looking to become the best version of yourself, OK Clarity was designed to help you find support. So head over to their website, choose the kind of therapist, psychiatrist, dietitian, coach you need, put in your state or country, and voila, you are going to be connected with the best therapists and wellness professionals uh, who specialize in working with the Jewish community. So find your clarity at okclarity.com. All right, a few things I want to address before we get to today's show. So I got an email from one of you, one of my lovely listeners, that took the time to articulate how she felt about me calling Joe Rogan an anti-Semite. And the truth is that he's not really an anti-Semite. I mean, I don't really care about Joe Rogan. I don't listen to a show. I don't care about a show. Um, that's why I said after I described what he had said on his podcast, I said he took a stroll down anti-Semitic Avenue, anti-Semitic Avenue. So yeah, there are people who start off innocent enough and then they turn into Kanye West. So you got to be careful. That's all I was saying. And as far as me being particularly, um, critical and having a tendency to generalize when it comes to the Palestinians, no apologies there. The Jewish people are not murderers, they're not terrorists, they're not rapists, they're not thieves, they're not scoundrels, they're not pirates, they're not blood-drinking vampires, which there are people who believe. Yes, there are people who believe that Jews are blood-drinking vampires. Just so you understand that how demented the theories are and how deep and dark and wicked and evil our enemies are. How do we get onto this topic again? I was trying to change the subject here. Oh, the point was... Joe Rogan might not be an anti-Semite. I really don't care. The point is that he took a stroll down anti-Semitic Avenue, and there are people who already have houses there, okay? Like Roger Waters, like Elon Omer, like the entire squad. They have a whole condo set up. There's a swimming pool. There are so many anti-Semites there. Susan Sarandon has a mansion. She actually has a mansion next door to the Hadiths, who have a massive, massive mansion there with a huge Palestinian flag hanging in front. So there are no shortage of anti-Semites all around the world, in Europe, in Britain, in America. There are no shortage of Jew haters. So that's why we have to be careful with what we say, because people like to kill Jews. I really want to get onto a more positive topic. I really do. I'm trying desperately to claw myself out of this depressing hole that the Jew haters have dug for me. By the way, I have so many great guests coming up in the coming weeks, and I go back and forth. Should I tell them? Should I keep it a secret? But I feel like certain guests we could get psyched up about. Like, I'm really excited to talk to Sivan Rav Meir. I have been chasing her since I made Aliyah five years ago. She doesn't do Instagram Lives. 
at least not with me. <laughs> and I just haven't managed to get her to come on my show, but she's going to be on the show as soon as she gets back from the Knesset Shluchais. And if you don't know who Sivan Rav Meir is, she is a very famous Israeli journalist. Um, she's from, she wasn't always from, she wasn't always religious. She actually started off on the far left in journalism and she became religious on TV as she continued to speak on TV night after night about everything going on here. And she's a real role model. She's a brilliant, brilliant speaker. Okay, I'm already giving her introduction, but she's going to be on the show, and I'm really excited about that. I also have Eighth Day, Yo Nina. I love Nina. I've seen her perform. She's fantastic. If you guys don't know who they are, go online and search Yo Nina and start obsessing. Um, and a lot of other great, fascinating, interesting guests. Will Donald Trump be on the show again? It's possible. Honestly, I told my husband at Chavez, I'm not even interested in talking to Donald Trump. Ivanka Mela, but uh, uh, don't worry. I have very interesting people up my sleeve that will be joining me on this podcast to share everything that they know, everything that they feel. Well, not everything that they feel because I'm not their therapist, but just interesting stuff for the fantastic Weekly Squeeze audience. And in return, what are you guys going to do? Say it with me. Head down to my show notes. And click on the links. Okay, check out OK Clarity's website. Join the WhatsApp group, which is happening until it stops happening every 24 hours when all the messages get deleted. And share this podcast with your friends so that I have the number one podcast in the world. Again, that is the agenda. That is the agenda. That is the plan. I'm going to tell you guys straight up. I plan to have the most popular Jewish podcast in the world with a little bit of your help. So if you're listening and you can help me, Todagama. All right, let's move on to something fun. Okay, Hey Alma is my favorite Jewish website to hate. I hate to love it, and I love to hate it. It's really bad, though. <laughs> it's really awful. It's just like the worst Jewish ideas put onto one website. It's, you know, progressive and feminist and all that jazz. Okay, so they have a new article um, or a new uh, a story, essay, by Evelyn Frick. The new Jewish rules, these are the rules that she thinks are the etiquette for our contemporary society as Jews. So I'm going to read it for the first time and go through it and decide if Evelyn Taka knows what she's talking about or if I know better. All right, here we go. Again, these are Hey Amma's Jewish rules. This is about Mishbacha. Number one, don't play matchmaker for your single friend's family unless you've been asked to. False. Already wrong. No, wrong. Make shidduchim. Suggest names. Don't hesitate. Just keep trying. I don't care how much your single sister, cousin, uncle, a daughter hates you at this point. Our job is to marry off our kids and our friends' kids and all the kids so we can all have some peace and quiet. So name, names, make shidduchim, and yeah. Next. If someone does play matchmaker for you without your knowledge or consent, it's okay to politely reject the match. Wrong again. You go out. Because you never know. Do you know that my grandmother went out as an escort with her older sister on a date with my grandfather? In other words, my grandmother's oldest sister went out with my grandfather first, and my grandmother was an escort. I don't know if they were on a horse, on a wagon, on a walk. I don't think they were in an automobile back in the shtetl. But the fact is, she went on the date, and because she agreed to go out with her sister as an escort, she laid eyes on my grandfather, who would later be her husband. So the point of the matter is, you go out, even if it's just as an escort. <laughs> it's a terrible story. 
<laughs> okay, what else do you have here? Call your parents. Yes, you have to call your parents. If you get a tattoo, don't lie to your Jewish family about it. Don't get a tattoo. Do not get a tattoo. Tattoos are guyish. We don't ink ourselves like the guy you do. We just don't. We don't need it. If you really, really feel like you have to get it out of your system, get something washable, stick it on, you realize how annoying it is, and you'll be so grateful that you don't have a tattoo. Okay. Next, if you have an opportunity to throw a bark mitzvah, cat mitzvah, or bee mitzvah for any kind of pet, do it. No, my friend. No, 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 no. We Jews take very good care of our animals. We shech them carefully, and we feed them before we eat, and we are gentle and loving to our pets. But we do not throw them bar or bat mitzvahs, bark mitzvahs. That is just wasteful and unnecessary. I mean, tell my great-grandmother in the shtetl that you're throwing your dog a bar mitzvah. She'll think you're insane. She'll think you're insane. And then tell her that you read it on the internet, so it has to be true <laughs> and valid. All right, next. Um... Under the category of Jews you don't know, what is proper etiquette? Never ask someone if their nose is real. Okay, that's fair. Don't assume that all rabbis are men. Why not? All rabbis are men, unless they're not rabbis. <laughs> don't you love me? I just say it like it is. Um, don't assume you could play Jewish geography with everyone. Well, I'm related to everyone. I always said I'm related to everyone except my husband. My husband was the only Jew I wasn't related to, so I married him. And that worked out great. So, yeah, that could be. Uh, if you're an Ashkenazi Jew, don't assume other Jews are also Ashkenazi. Nachon. And if you are a Sephardi Jew, don't assume that other Sephardim like you. Because Sephardim, as it turns out, and I'm an insider now, they actually hate each other. Every single Edah, every single faith, Sephardi faith, has a joke about another faith. And they're all the same joke. <laughs> they don't even know they're all saying the same joke about each other. And they're all about a mother slapping their son with a flip-flop. All right, what else is on this list? Don't assume people's stances on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because you will always be surprised. Well, it's not an Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's the Jews trying to live in Israel and the Palestinians terrorizing them. So it's the Palestinian problem. And yeah, um, no, don't assume because you'll be very, very surprised and disappointed because the world hates you. So yeah, just, you know, do your thing and don't ask anyone's opinion. You know what's right. Don't ask someone, don't ask about someone's conversion unless they initiate the conversation. That is true. You don't remind a Balchuva or a Ger about their past. Unless, of course, they converted through reform. And then you have an obligation to tell them that they are Tanke, not Jewish. If you're approached by a Chabadnik on the street asking if you're Jewish and you don't want to engage, an appropriate response is, I'm not interested, but thank you. Wrong. She writes here, ignoring them is rude. True. Don't ignore them and accept with a smile the opportunity to put on fill-in or take Shabbos candles or to say hello to your first cousin because you're related to everyone. Uh, next, non-Jews, always speak out against anti-Semitism if you feel safe doing so. Correct. Teaching someone about the Holocaust is never preachy. Correct. Again. Okay. Nishkeferlach, we are getting somewhere with this list. Uh, don't try to make sense of kosher rules. That's the job of rabbis. Well, yeah, you don't have to make sense of kosher rules, but you do have to keep it. So if you're calculations are that if it don't make sense to get to eat it, then you, you're doing kosher wrong. So, yeah. Make your dietary preferences and allergies clear, but don't yuck up somebody else's yam. Yes, there are people who like gefilte fish. They are people too. My husband likes gefilte fish, and he is a proud Sephardi. I don't think he'll be happy that I just told the whole world that, but too bad. Uh, share the pickle plate. Okay, whatever. Pickle jokes are always Jewish. There is no bad bagel. If you have a weird bagel order, own it. That said, chocolate hummus is a big fat no. Chocolate hummus is a big fat no no. I don't care how you practice religion. Uh, what else here? At bar mitzvahs, holidays, synagogues, is bee mitzvahs a thing? Like it's gender neutral? Bee mitzvahs? Is that like a new thing? I've never noticed that before. Huh. Bark, bot, 
Boss. And the bazaar, I suppose. Okay. Anyone can wear kippahs and talisim, not just cis men. Wrong. Only men wear kippahs and talisim unless you are a woman of the wall and you need attention. 43. If your rabbi asks you to perform an aliyah, try to say yes, unless you are a woman. Uh, 44. If you're carrying the Torah, do not drop it. I I concur. Uh, Next. It's always okay to sit down during the Amidah or other long stretches of standing during services. I, I, I guess you could ask a rav. I don't know exactly the details. But let's try to follow the laws. Uh, nah, nah, nah. A Cartier bracelet is an insane gift for a bat mitzvah that I can agree on. Is that happening in America? Jeez, five years ago. All right, what else is on this list here? Don't linger at the kiddush table after filling your plate. Back away from the table and let someone else get at the kugel. Okay, clearly they've never been to a summer kiddush. Don't mess with a chassid's kugel. That's right. Never blow out the Shabbos candles, even if you lit them late and went to bed. Okay, I guess that has to be said. Don't blow out the Shabbos candles. All right, next. It's Reformed Judaism, not Reformed Judaism. It's actually neither. It's not really Judaism. It's, in fact, Jewish progressivism. It's progressivism that has a bunch of Jews running the show and flipping everything to meet their agenda. I actually sat today and listened just for research at the uh, to the Radlett Reform Synagogue live stream that took place today in America and I listened to the tefillah, which basically was a musical chairs of some sort of women and men saying the parts that the kids say in preschool, except shorter. And then a rabbi getting up and basically giving a speech that he wrote on chat GPT. I promise you. He said, what is the covenant? He asked that from GPT, chat GPT, artificial intelligence online. And then he read it to his congregants and everybody watching the live stream. I would fill you in, but I fell asleep after the second line. And then I woke up and they started playing guitar. <laughs> All right. What else is on this list of politically incorrect things to do if you're Jewish? It's never acceptable to call someone a shiksa. Disagree. As does the non-Jewish nanny who I had on episode 49. So if you want to know why I disagree, head over to that episode. It's never acceptable to call someone a self-hating Jew or a capo. Again, disagree. There are so many dangerous Jews out there that are destructive. They side with the enemy. And as I always say, the Jews should have a Palestinian who loves them as much as Peter Beinhart loves the Palestinians. That would be nice. Um, ba, ba, ba. There are two words in the English language that you should never say in sequence, and those words are the and Jews. Never heard someone do good after they said that. No, sorry. The Jews are awesome. The Jews are amazing. The Jews are the one. The Jews are chosen. The Jews will bring Mashiach. And the Jews are the chosen people. That's right. All right, so a few weeks ago, I told you about a new press company, a new press corps that will be representing the Haredi community um, with free press. Shtetl, Haredi Free Press. Well, I think they're going to have to rename their company to Shtetl Haredi Free Press because they introduced their advisory board and nobody on the board is Haredi. Not one person. We have Sean Woods, editor-at-large Rolling Stone, Jordan Kutzik, journalist, law student, Shalom Leifer, Haredi activist, as in activist against Haredim, Shlomo Sat, program manager, author, Julia Dahl, Lipa Teller, Sam Sokol. Okay, none of these people are Haredim, so I don't know why they called it the Haredi Free Press. It should be called the Haredi Free Press. So I guess we'll see what unfolds for them. They claim that they're going to provide objective free press for the Haredi community of New York and beyond, and they will cover issues in the Haredi community that matter to the community itself and to New Yorkers in general. Their mission is to report honestly and accurately on the Haredi community to be a source of information that can illuminate and hold power to account. 
um, and you could send the money so they can pay their bills and bring us news. Um, yeah, so that's the shtetl pre-launch that's officially going on. So if you want to get your news from people who used to be Haredi and now have opposing views, here is their unbiased opinions. <laughs> All right. I, I just felt like I have to bring that up because I did mention it on an earlier episode. And now that I see the panel, I can assure you that this is not Haredi press. Will it be neutral? Um, I find that hard to believe. I don't believe in neutral press, certainly not when it comes to discussing things that are so close to the heart of so many Jews. But I guess time will tell. It certainly can only get better from where we are now. Very right-wing and one-dimensional as far as Jewish press goes. Mainstream Jewish Haredi press. All right, let's talk about the Knesset Shluchas. I'm looking at a beautiful picture of 4,000 liters. Women who are leaders, role models, tzadikuses, rebbitzins, mikvah attendants, kala class teachers, and incredible, incredible movers and shakers from all over the world. Really terrific, terrific women all together in Crown Heights. What you don't see in this picture is the 4,000 husbands currently looking for the peanut butter, trying to figure out how to send their kids off to school in one piece. Well, for starters, don't send your kids with peanut butter because in all likelihood, the school that you send your kids to doesn't allow peanut butter. So that's rule number one for any shliach listening. Um, Also, that actually reminds me that I said in last week's episode that the Rebbe started dollars following the Rebbitzins passing, but that's actually inaccurate. The Rebbe started dollars in 1988, and the Rebbitzin passed away in 1986. The Rebbe did start other positive initiatives in her name, but dollars started two years before the Rebbitzin actually passed away. Thank you to the listener that took the time to send me a WhatsApp message and let me know that I made a mistake. I love being called out for my mistakes because that means people are listening. That means people are actually listening and be like, hey, what? I, that, that's not correct. That is not correct. And with an audience like her, she should not be peddling lies and misinformation. So I appreciate you enthusiastic listeners who call me out on my faux pas and misspeakings. So I saw something brilliant today out of South Korea. South Korea sells packages of bananas with six bananas in the package. And the first banana is bright yellow that you can eat it today. The next banana is just a drop less ripe and so on for all six bananas. The six bananas green. So that way you can eat your banana today, know you have a fresh banana tomorrow, a ripe banana the day after, and on the sixth day, you can eat the sixth banana that was green when you bought it. They, they call them one-a-day bananas, and I think that's brilliant. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Other than that, uh, there's not much news coming out of South Korea. I don't believe they sent representatives to Turkey. Israel did, sending 450 people, and Hatzalah did as well. There was a rumor that due to a significant security threat, um, the Israeli rescue and relief mission in Turkey was abandoned and the team was sent back to Israel. But my friend on Twitter told me that after confirming with leaders of different Israeli delegations, the United Hatzalah team did not leave due to safety concerns. So I don't know if that was a rumor, but as of now, none of the Israeli teams are in any safety risk um, in Turkey. The IDF search and rescue team will continue for the next few days. They set up a makeshift hospital um, the medics are staying and still active, and they have saved many, many lives. Rahman al what's going on there? I saw a picture that made me laugh, and it was of the Palestinian rescue team. <laughs> a group of Palestinians went to help in Turkey. What a joke. They're not a nation. They're not a people. And this is an example of posturing, where they are pretending to be something that they're not. They don't care about human life. They just want attention. Okay. Uh, I- I'm sure by now you've heard this insane story. A woman showed up at the Kotel 
yesterday to protest a contentious bill that would criminalize immodest dress at the holy site. And by criminalize, we mean get a ticket um, or perhaps be arrested if you show up in your underwear, which this woman did. She showed up in her bathing suit, I suppose. We'll give her benefit of the doubt that it's a bathing suit, not that it makes a difference. She was detained by the police and taken in for questioning. And she could face charges of insult to religion, which carry a possible sentence of up to three years in prison. She came clothed, and then she took off her clothes, and she stood there in her bathing suit and sneakers, and then the police took her away. But there were a number of photographs showing her walking around. By the way, it was freezing yesterday, so i got to give her points for determination. I wish Israelis, left, lefty Israelis, would put their potential for change into the right places because they are amazing. All Jews are amazing, except they are protesting the wrong things. In any case, she comes to the hotel. And um, the photographs that were captured are actually remarkable. They don't show anyone throwing something at her or attacking her. There's one photo of three women standing and talking to her, and her head is tilted to the side. Apparently, she's paying attention to what they're saying. And she was not, um, yeah, she was not attacked. And that's pretty remarkable. The chief rabbi of Israel issued a statement saying that we are horrified by this despicable act of provocation this morning at the Kotel, which desecrates the holiness of the site and deeply offended the public and the worshippers, said Rabbi Rabbanovich. The Western Wall is a sacred site for every Jew and Jewess. It's not a place for dispute or provocation of any kind. That is the fact of the matter. Why did she do this? Well, Shas, the ultra-Orthodox Sephardi party, wanted to make it a criminal offense, punishable up to six months in prison, um, or a 10,000 shekel fine for offenders who dress immodestly at the Western Wall. Now, what immodestly at the Western Wall means, I don't know, because there are many women wearing slacks, not covering their hair, and not keeping the laws of tznyut at the hotel. But at the same time, what do we do, Take, if a woman shows up in a bathing suit? Well, she basically just proved why this law is needed. (laughs) The law was shelved, so I guess we'll see what develops. But in the future, if you have a desire to wear a bathing suit at the hotel, know that you will not be abused or attacked. You will be treated with respect because the women for the wall are, in fact, respectful of every single Jew. And they looked into their heart, into her heart And they thought, why is she doing this? How can we help our fellow Jewish sister see the light, see the truth? Um, And how can we get her a robe? So I saw the coolest thing. I don't know if you saw it yet, but I I thought this was amazing. And I immediately thought of uh, uses that we as Jews can have for a microscope smartphone camera adapter. So basically, you can mount a microscope onto your phone and then be able to see things that you've never seen before. Now, when you live in a from household, sometimes it's best not to look too close. But then again, if you are checking strawberries, what could be better than a microscope off your phone? And it's only $32. I'm looking at this on Amazon. That is wild. It clips onto your phone, and voila, you can see all the things. It's only compatible with an iPhone, um, but you can now check your lettuce. You can now check your kid's head for lice if you happen to live in Israel. (laughs) And you're not sure if it's a louse, although I will say if it's moving, it's in fact a louse. But there's so many things you can use a microscope for in your house. You can give it, give it to your kid and be like, here, go go look at the leaf on the windowsill, okay? Go check your father's jacket for shotness. Just use the microscope and figure it out. <laughs> 
So I, I, love, I like this product, and I like to share cool things on this podcast. Um, do I have a link for you? No, because I don't make money through Amazon. But Google it, check it out, and if you do get a microscope for your household, let me know if you can talk and see the tiny little bugs on the strawberries. All right, it's now time for my conversation with Inat. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. She is the dancing challah queen. She lives here in Israel, originally from Toronto. Talented, beautiful, inspiring. She is a blog writer for the Times of Israel, and she's a bright light on social media. The power of challah. That's all I could say. The power of challah, the power of a Jewish woman. I think you're going to absolutely love our conversation. So without further ado, Inat Ishai. Ainat, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm so happy we can finally do this. Yes. <laughs> you have such a joyful spirit that comes through. I binged on all your reels, one after the other, the other day, and I was like, there is a certain magic here, and that is why people love her. And, and I got to say, you have something that I don't, and that is a lack of self-awareness. <laughs> And I mean that in the nicest way possible. You are full of joy and you bring that energy to your social media platform and you're not preoccupied with how I look and how I feel and how I think. It's just like, this is my joy. I'm going to exude it and you're going to be part of it. So I want to know your story and how you got here, how you got to be the challah force that you are, the dancing challah queen. Um, so <laughs> tell me a little bit about your childhood and your Jewish education so we get a picture how this happened? Yeah, I think that's the number one question I get asked is like, how did you come about? Like one day I opened up my Instagram and you're everywhere. <laughs> that's usually what I hear. So um, as I've shared before, I'm an Israeli Canadian. I was born in Israel and I was born to Russian uh, refugees who came to Israel in the 70s. And if people know about uh, Soviet Jewry, is that there was very limited Jewish knowledge um, or education given to them because of their circumstances. But there's a strong Jewish identity because they were told from a very early age, not from a positive lens, but from a negative lens, you're a Jew. So I knew from a very early age, because that's what my parents passed to me, is that I'm Jewish. Um, and so I always had that strong identity. Growing up in Canada, I mean, I had a, a secular uh, Jewish life raised um, by immigrants, right? So the immigrant story, I think, is true wherever you live. So I, I think, you know, I I knew that I was Jewish, but I, as I said, I didn't have a, a Jewish education. I didn't go to Hebrew day school. There were circumstances that didn't allow for it. And my parents um, gave me what they knew, which was a lot, but still limited. And that was a big insecurity for me for many, many years. Um, when I was 14, 15, I got involved with an organization, NCSY, which is an incredible organization. Um, and I came to Israel for the first time since immigrating to Canada at that age, at 14. And I met my husband on that trip. And he was my North Star. He was uh, a bit more traditional than me, kosher, Shabbat. He's a Sparty, which for... An Ashkenaz Russian family was like, ah. <laughs> I, actually, the, I actually thought you're yeah. Sparty because you have an Israeli name and you have that warmth <laughs> and you even have the skin tone. Like, I'm actually surprised to hear that you're from Western Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I know. People are so confused. They're like, what? You're not Moroccan? Um, 
So, but what I'll say is that my Jewish journey in terms of self-awareness, understanding what it means to be a Jew, not just that you are, but what does that actually mean, started um, after I returned from Israel at age 14. And that was a very scary thing for my parents because um, with limited Jewish knowledge, um, there was this, I don't want to put words into their mouth, but I was starting to do more, wanted more, more than they could afford to give me, wanted me to have. um, And it was, I I learned early on about Shalom Bayit, and that happens before you get married. That happens between your parents as well. And I, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, took a piece of my soul, uh, a spiritual awakening, and I shoved it six feet under and I buried it. Why? Because you didn't. My home. Oh, I was going to say because it's very challenging. I mean, this is the typical Balchuva story. It's very challenging right. for parents yeah. to raise their child with so much love and so much sacrifice, and then the child wakes up in the morning and says, "Everything you did <laughs> is not working yeah. for me, and this, yeah. you know, I'm taking a new path." So it's very interesting yeah. to me that you were sensitive to that because a lot of people, you know, religion, 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 and my parents are just going to have to suck it up and accept it. But you, you took yeah. a different approach. I said. Um, I, I learned two things in my teenage years. Number one, I learned about a very uh, deep, ancient Jewish mystical idea that the soul chooses the parents to come down here into this earth, into this very difficult world that we live in. And when I heard that, that, that Jewish wisdom, it gave me so much empathy for my parents. It, it made me understand that I chose this, that it empowered me that like I knew, I know that I needed to come down to this world through them, and it healed a lot of maybe brokenness that I had, or and maybe resentment that I had towards my parents. So I decided to take it, recognizing that for, you're in the right place. Yeah, that, that there are the right people for me. They that they are important, and the values that they taught me, and had all the stars not aligned the way they did, and. I being born in Israel and being named a Nats and have this identity, it was all because of them. And I don't ever want to take that away. And that's a that's a huge piece of advice I give to a lot of young people or people in marriages where they're having soul awakenings and there's like this this rumble and this, you know, I always say, you know, Shalom Bite is the most important thing to me. Um, and and we'll get into it. I'll talk to you a little bit more later about even how our marriage evolved. But basically that was that was the beginning of a, a spiritual awakening, but understanding that I will crawl, I will be a turtle. I don't need to win the race. I don't need to sprint. I, I don't even want to be part of a marathon. I just, I'm going to be a turtle. And if I'm going to take something on, it's going to be very slowly at my pace. Um, and that was it. And so we got married. We had a Orthodox wedding, which was intended we had a kosher home, not to the level of kashrut it is right now. And we had three children. And after the third child, with there was a there was a health scare. And anyways, something shifted. And my husband, who was, um, he, he'd also digressed. He was observant, um, kosher, Shabbat. But, you know, I, I came into the picture and I wasn't ready. And he also took some steps backwards. And, you know, as soon as he said to me, you know, I want to do this, but I don't want to go back. And what he was saying to me is that it's very painful to go back. Once we go forward, let's just do it. And uh, let's be ready that um, and be sure that we want to do this. And so we did. Again, crawling. We're talking about this was in our 11th year of marriage that we said, okay, let's 
let's do this after three children already. Um, I just want to point out that even in marriages where both spouses are from from birth, like my husband and I, there there are moments when we sit down and discuss the next level of our marriage as far as Yiddishkeit goes, as far as Judaism goes. It's not static just because you were born into halachic home. You know, we, we went to dinner last night and my husband and we remarked, you know, we've really become so from. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I know. And it's funny because I never thought I wasn't. But you grow as a person. And if you have Sean Bice with your partner, you do bring out the best in each other and you can reach levels that are harder to attain if you don't have a, a spouse sure. on the same page as, as yourself. Sure. You know, I posted a reel yesterday that one of my insecurities was I couldn't read or write and I still cannot write and reading is very bad in Hebrew, in Hebrew. because I didn't have that solid foundation of Hebrew school education. So while I can speak Hebrew, um, because that was my native tongue, I, it's very hard to, to read or write. And that was an insecurity. My husband reads and writes because he went to that Hebrew day school. And so he had this knowledge, which I always gravitated towards. And then when I started to grow and learn in English, <laughs> because that was the language I could understand, I kind of whizzed past him. And then I kind of said, you know what, I don't need to like whiz past him. I need to like come back and deepen some knowledge in an area. I don't have to do something that, you know, puts our marriage, in, you know, in a lachatz and in a sort of a pressure cooker. And, um, and yeah, so it's been this, I, if I can paint a picture, it's been this, you know, like if you play Super Mario Kart, someone whizzes past you and then you whiz past them. And then at some point you're kind of going together. And so I agree with you. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, and it's and, a sprint. Uh, it's not a marathon. So, I mean, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So. I, I would say it's, it's, it's not even, it's a journey. It's a journey. And a journey looks like climbing a mountain and falling down into a valley and hitting boulders and going underground and swimming and it's like but you're getting to the top you are getting to the top and you are getting there with a bag of flour eggs and oil (laughs) on your back so listen remember when covid hit and everyone was making sourdough bread because there was a yeast shortage in the world yes i actually spoke to a hoover from homegrown kosher and she's like, I have been making sourdough for a million years. And then COVID started and suddenly everybody was making sourdough. I said, I, right. can, assure, I can assure you I was not making sourdough, but I will believe you. <laughs> okay. So it was all the rage, right? Make a sourdough fit into the COVID um, trend. Hopefully not with COVID. Um, and so it happened to be that I tried. I tried and I failed. And it was during that time in COVID that it was earlier on, but I'm like, I can't succeed at anything here. Like I'm... A mother of four children, I did not grow up in a big family. I'm trying to raise them in an observant home without Jewish education because everything is closed. So all of a sudden, I'm like trying to do morning tefillot and I'm trying to like review work. I like my, my children know way more halachot than I do because they they are getting formal Hebrew school education, Jewish education. I <laughs> They whizzed past me, right? Um and so it felt very limiting, very um, whatever. Everyone has their own COVID story. But mine, what happened was that I said, you know, what, let me just do one thing that I can succeed in. And since we can mark Shabbat as being a day different from every other day, that really saved me. So I started to make my challah and just show people like, listen, if you're failing at sourdough, come over to the challah side and we can just make this thing together because I found some yeast. 
And so I started to make it. And then I was like, you know, I'm pretty good at it. And it's actually kind of fun. And it's just for a moment, I'm grounded and I can talk to God. And sometimes I would cry into my dough. And You write so beautifully on your blog in the Times of Israel. I, I actually highlighted a few things. Can I read them? Because they really, sure. they were so beautifully expressed and, and really touched me. Um, you wrote, braiding my chal, I'm reminded of how God braided Chava's hair in the Garden of Eden. I'm acutely aware that for every thread I weave around the next, I'm infusing beauty in the soul food we call challah. And you just go on to describe it in such a beautiful, romantic, gorgeous way. Um, and I'm not a baker because uh, I'm not, I, I, you know what? I don't know what's holding me back because my name is Chana, Chala Nida Anadlakasaneris, and I feel guilty about it every single week. But reading this really made me realize what a process it is for you and what a healthy mind set you have when you approach this mitzvah. You say you don't make challah when you're angry, when you lack gratitude, or any other state other than common peace. I mean, your reels make it look like challah is the highlight of your week. Girl, you are dancing. You are bringing the joy. Uh, I can't even, I, I, I told you, I want to come bake with you. I want yeah. to experience that holy moment with my holy sister baking challah, and I, and I do intend to. I think, you know, uh, there's a perception that I'm constantly a joyful person. Um, the reality is, is that it's a choice and it's not always constant. Um, I started out by saying that I grew up in a home of Russian Israeli immigrants. That is not a joyful home. That is a serious, um, high performance, pressure cooker, loving home. But it, I wouldn't categorize it as the joyful home. My um, husband also grew up in a Russian Israeli home. Very demanding parents. They were very demanding. And not necessarily, yeah. I mean, my in-laws are religious. It wasn't about religion. It was just the expectations. And there was not a right. whole lot of room for frivolity. Like, just Right, right. Like, my parents were busy making sure that we had one pair of shoes that would last the year and a roof over our heads and food. And their, their expectation was that we perform at the highest level because we're fortunate to be in a free country and have education and we have to take full advantage of our opportunities and so that that's how I grew up and I and it honestly strengthened me like every time I have haters or um, you know trolls coming onto my platform people get so defensive uh, on my behalf and I'm like buddy like if you only grew up with my father you'd realize like this is a joke <laughs> <laughs> like you I know? can handle like, this I can handle free yeah. Palestine <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's nothing come to my side <laughs> you know and my father's a wonderful man but he's a he's a he's a product also of his environment and how he was raised and again uh, any russian israeli can attest to the the circumstance of how they were raised but i want to say that it's a choice and i choose consciously even when i'm feeling down and i show this on my platform too that um i'm not going to fake it I'm going to show you, I'm going to be, if I feel strong enough to share my vulnerability, because I don't share my my husband or my kids on my platform. My husband sometimes gets like a three second. Right. You see his hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, it's because I want you to see Judaism from my eye. I want you to see how I see the world. And if your first introduction into this world or your reintroduction to this world, because you've been hurt is through me, I take that as a, a serious responsibility. 
and you to have, show it you have a hundred and ten thousand people following you and this is in a yeah. relatively short amount of time a lot of people who've been on instagram for 15 years don't have that kind of following which i think is remarkable because it is a combination of your joy and your vulnerability and your honesty and your depth and that's what I find so remarkable. It's one thing to dance around. And I know some other Instagram influencers, if you want to call them that, that make cute videos. And, you know, if you use the right music, you know, that there's a certain compo- there's a certain art to making things popular and getting followers. But you, you could see that it's not about that for you. This is not about, you know, giveaways so you have more followers or live so you have more followers. This is just a very authentic picture of a Jewish woman who, A, loves baking challah and appreciates what it brings to her home and to her soul. And B, um, is sharing her true personal intimate journey with Israel, Judaism, family, motherhood, all, all those things as you explore it yourself. It's just a very authentic page. But again, joyful. And that's so important. Yeah. It's, um, I remember, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for seeing it. Sometimes I'm not even sure what my page is because I, uh, while everyone talks about Instagram pages being niches or, you know, like everyone wants to know what's your niche, like tachlis, we're in an elevator, like what's the pitch? And I always say, Hala is the gateway into my platform. But once you're in, um, it's very multifaceted because I'm a multidimensional person and, and people are multidimensional. And as a, Jewish woman who has a history of not being observant, who believes that some of the most righteous people that, that I've ever met in this world don't keep Shabbat and don't keep kosher. And it doesn't make them any less Jewish than me. And I know the stigma and the hurt and the pain that happens to Jewish people, how we feel so siloed and separated from each other. When we start to label each other, categorize each other based on something that's happening on the external front, and um, and you just never know. And you're always walking to somebody's chapter three. And it's true of my story when you first meet me, <laughs> um, when you're making challah. And it's I'm always thinking of my parents, how they felt discriminated in Russia, being a Jew, coming to Israel, feeling discriminated for being Russian. And at some point they left because they just wanted their kids to have the best opportunity without any discrimination. And how that relayed into my life. So I, yeah. I'm very sensitive. And I, some of my closest friends are, are not observant. And they are the ones that taught me the most about chesed. They're the ones that taught me the most about just kindness and acceptance. Um, and and so I, I just feel like that has to be also... Uh, the forefront of my of my content because I always say I don't have rabbinical authority and I'll never say that you should live this way or that way because I also didn't and it didn't make me any less of a, a, a I don't like this called good Jew bad Jew like that doesn't exist in my world it, it made me an unaware uneducated Jew but I've always been connected I've always had this thing called the neshama I just didn't have a vocabulary to express it. I also know though, and I'm careful, and you'll see this on my page, that I'm careful about how uh, the language I use to describe the omnipresent, this this uh, spiritual entity, this, we have many names for God because it's triggering for many of us 
who are like, what is Hashem? <laughs> I'm a Jew. I have never heard this word for Hashem. Like, can't you just say God? And why are you writing God with a, with, with a line, hyphen across the O? And, 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 you know, why are you not using this name or that name? And it's because if you are a connected Jew, you know, you know the answer why I'm not. Um, and if you're not a connected Jew, which is over 90% of the Jewish world, it's like, I just want you to, I just want you to hold my hand for a minute. I feel welcome you know? here. Yeah, that's it. It's like what you choose to do. It's it's like what I choose to do. It's my choice. It's my, if I have the knowledge and what I choose to do to it, like we all have, we all have to have this autonomy. Um, and, and the most important thing too, and I always say to my kids, someone said to me, you know, you just want to make sure like your kids are religious because you're, I'm a Balchuva. And so like, you know, you put all this work in and what, and I'm just like, um, yeah, so my goal is not for my kids to be religious. My goal is that when my kids are alone and scared and in the darkness, that the first thing that they utter is Hashem, help me. And they have that. an individual relationship with God and they can call on God on their own. And, and their relationship with God is not my relationship with God. It's their own. They sought out God for themselves. Everyone has this lech lecha journey. We are all responsible for taking that journey on our own. And, um, and to me, that would be the greatest gift I can give to my kids. Do you have sons or daughters? Both, two of each. I have two older boys and two younger girls. Yeah. What, what stands out also about your page and sets it apart is the way you, um, like I said earlier, you accept your femininity I think you had a reel where you were dancing and you were just saying like, your body's gorgeous and you know, your mind is powerful and your heart is capable. I'm looking at it now. You can keep Shabbat kosher and mikvalaz and still leave it all out on the dance floor. Where did, where did you find that comfort level that you are not inhibited in that sense? And, and again, you, you don't cross the laws of modesty. You're a proud Jewish woman, but you have this energy that I'm comfortable in my body. I, I know who I am and what I have to offer. And again, I, and I say this all the time, the secret to happy, well-adjusted children is a joyful home. So I'm sure that, you know, you're not everything you are on Instagram in your house 24 hours a day. That's only normal. But at the same time, you can gauge from your posts that when it comes to music and passion and love and self-acceptance that you're, you're in a good place. You are in a good place. Yeah, you are in a good place. So, where do you, how do you how do you find your yourself in that way? Like, what what is your advice for some yeah. women who struggle? Because not everybody could pick up a cell phone and share something without looking back and being critical and being uncomfortable and just deleting it and nobody wants to see this and I don't like the way I look. So, what's your advice for for people yeah. who who struggle in that way? I mean, I think the first thing to say is you do not require an audience and nobody. Um, your your mindset, your truth, how you feel about yourself is not for public consumption. Um, I chose to put myself out there on a public forum because number one, I am not scared of my insecurities or my dark places. And I think that's very important to say because we all struggle. We all have insecurities. You would, you are a complete liar if you say, I feel good about myself all the time. I've never had any struggles with my mind, my body, my soul, my faith, my family. That's just not the human condition. 
And I've never strived for perfection. I've always strived for progress. And so while I I am a mother, I've, my body has changed four times over. I have shared on my social media, my body at, you know, at 12, I was a ballerina. I was, you know, at, how you would imagine a 12 year old ballerina looking like. And, um, and I went through puberty and I've, I've gone up and down in my weight. And it's as if we think that how we look at one point in our lives is, is it's like a goal. If you can, if you can look that way 20 years later, as if you have a high school reunion and someone said, Anala, you haven't changed one bit. And we think that that is a compliment and on my end, I'm like, oh, if I haven't changed one bit, then I haven't done the work. As opposed to, wow, you've changed a lot. My answer would be like, thank you. That's the point. <laughs> because we're supposed to evolve. And um, how I look on the outside is is just that I should feel comfortable. I should be healthy, of course. Everyone has a different form of being healthy. But um, but my my body has changed. And I... And I Except that my body is changing, even to the extent that I said to someone, um, no, I actually, I think I posted on my social media, like, I had 14 souvenirs during Hanukkah. I <laughs> taste tested six, um, and then I ate one for every day of Hanukkah to mark the day. And I'm <laughs> Aren't you supposed to? Hello? This is literally what, what we're doing now. One for each night. <laughs> it's written, right? Right. Um, and I knew I was going to gain weight and I knew I was going to have sugar crashes and I knew I was going to feel puffy. And I'm like, and that's the process. That's mm-hmm. like YOLO. I'm here in Israel. Of course, I'm going to have one and I'll take care of that later. Um, it's it's uh, how I wake up in the morning. I, I always say it's in my head. Nobody thinks actually I'm less attractive, smart, powerful, all the- I'm no less of these things just because my body has changed. And I really credit my mom. You know, Russian humor is very funny. Uh, there's a, a saying in, in the Russian, you know, community amongst women, which basically, because Russian women can also be very voluptuous, very, uh, you know, sensual, very you curvy. Know, yeah. uh, curvy. And my mother always said, listen, and now whatever happens with your body and all the changes, as long as you're wearing red lipstick and your boobs are bigger than your stomach, you know, you're just attracting <laughs> Attracting their eyes up, and you know, oh, and it, it's it's like a Russian problem. Well, you also have something. the gorgeous mitpachat. I love the the rap yeah. uh, videos that you make. I, I'm I'm secretly pining to wear one of those situations on my head, but I haven't been able to pull it off yet. I'm just a little bit too Ashkenazi. I don't know. I'm also tall. I feel like I don't know if I need the height. Maybe I do need the height. <laughs> um, but there's something very like regal about that and you do come off as somebody who does care about how they look but it's not the focus you can see that you are a full product the soul is working in harmony with the body and that's also very reflective in the baking because the baking is a very manual thing it's a very like physical arduous task to bake bread at least for me to do any sort of breaking yeah any sort of baking but when you bring the neshama into it and you bring the music into it and you're able to relay that in words, 
sometimes with words, sometimes with music, sometimes with dancing, but to convey that to your audience, that's very powerful. So tell me a little bit about the people that have responded to your social media platform, perhaps started baking, messages you've gotten, things that have yeah. made your, given you goosebumps, or just reminded you that you don't even realize the effect and the influence that you have through this amazing um, platform that you've built. By the way, we didn't even mention, did I say it? you have 110,000 followers? <laughs> remarkable did. i did yes. i have to say it again because i i saw when you started I, i've been following you on the jewish rock page for for a while now and the other day i saw a hundred ten thousand followers maybe i should be baking challah <laughs> maybe that is the secret <laughs> you know um first of all i want to say that when i started making challah i um inherited my mother's uh big kitchen aid mixer back in toronto uh, when I was cushioning my home, I remember I took it. I'm like, this is a heavy thing, but I got to, you know, it's expensive. And anyways, I called him Jerry because I have this thing in my family. My mother and I, we name our small appliances after Seinfeld characters. So Jerry died. <laughs> okay, Jerry died eight months, nine months before we were supposed to come to Israel. And I didn't replace Jerry. And that is actually when my content switched, where I was starting to make challah with my hands. And so something very interesting happened, which is I didn't mean for it to happen, but it's like, oh, this I can do this. She's doing everything with her hands. I don't need this very expensive machine that not all of us are, even I couldn't afford at some point, um, to, to purchase. And so she, if she's making it by hand and it just looks like these staple products I have in my home, then maybe I can make it too. And so that has come across, I think, in the content, and I continue to make it with my hands. Then you go into the next level of there's something very grounding, making something with your own bare hands. It's like, you know, it's that thing from Castaway, right? Like, look what I have created, right? With the fire and coming. But it is, it's like, oh my gosh, I did that. I did that. Yeshma Ayan. It's Yeshma Ayan. Yeah. And so, um, so that's been wonderful. So for all the bakers, or as I said, challah is the gateway into my platform. So if the only Jewish thing you're connecting with that week is the fact that you want to have some carbohydrates and gluten with some sugar, and it's a Jewish thing to make the bread, and it, you eat it on that Jewish day, amazing. Then there's the next layer, which is we are very fortunate. I am extremely fortunate. I am here in the land of the majority of the Jewish people. I come from Toronto, where we have a very strong and large Jewish community. I have always lived amongst Jews, but I've always worked amongst, and, and, and frankly, my earlier years, I was friends and in school, because I, I said I didn't go to Hebrew day school, amongst a lot of different types of people. I, I love people. I love people of all faiths and cultures. I have a lot of tolerance where, how I was raised where I was raised and people are inherently good. And something happens with the Jewish people when we assimilate. And there's a part of us that's like, I just didn't know. And like, I didn't run away from this on purpose. I just didn't know what I was leaving. And then that insecurity happens. Like, why didn't, why didn't someone tell me? Right. Or, why didn't he tell me that his parents were in the Holocaust and and they didn't tell me I was Jewish and then I go ahead and marry somebody who isn't and I'm raising these children in that way and now I have to flip my whole life over? It, it, this this truth is also very difficult. It, it's very heavy. And you hear it and from so people? You hear I it hear people? it all the time. They private message me. They're like, I just found out or I've always known 
but was gravitate towards this. I didn't know why. I and they feel very lost and very empty and very confused. And, and also, I suppose what you're sharing also is triggering in a sense. It's because they connect to it and they love it and it's inspiring. But where do you even start? What do you mean baking bread? Like, where, what, 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 is right. this, what is this about? And, and your whole, your, your, our whole um, religion, in a sense, as women, especially as women, revolve around, sh- you know, Shabbat and the baking. And it just feels right. very simple and very complex at the same time. I always say, and, and I alluded to this before, if your introduction or reintroduction to Judaism is through my platform, I take it as a real responsibility because I know what it's like to enter into this world of, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that there was a temple in Jerusalem. <laughs> I didn't know that we had this instruction manual for life called the Torah. I just thought, you know, I, I remember I took a quiz in NCSY. It was like, what's the new year? I'm like, January 1st. Who is Jesus's, or, you know, who's Jesus' mother's name? I'm like, Mary. Um, and then it was like, when is the Jewish new year? I'm like, I don't know. It's Rosh Hashanah. When does it fall? I don't know. Or like, who is his Mo- Moses' mother's name? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Let me refer back to the movie, The Ten Commandments. It's Sipora, just in case you're listening and you're like, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it your presence? His mother. One second, Zipporah was his wife Zipporah? Zipporah? See, there you go. Yes. And I'm from, okay. from birth. Okay. okay. So, but, but the point is, is that these questions we have, and we have a lot of questions, and I still have a lot of questions, are good. Questions are good in Judaism. Questions means your soul is awakening and it wants to be nourished. And, and so I'm here. I feel like in some way I'm this vessel that allows you to hold on by a thread to what could be your only connection to Judaism. And so while I'm not a Torah educator um, and I don't, I I don't, uh, you know, preach uh, or proselytize or any of that, I, I make my content for the Jewish community. What has happened is that my platform has expanded beyond the Jewish community. I have many followers in places that you would least expect, including Lebanon, Iraq. Um, I have people in Turkey, I've uh, perhaps created an olive branch through my platform to people that may have looked at us one way and realized uh, I don't represent anything that they think they know about us. Um, And so there's, as I said, many tentacles to my platform. And I love that because we are multifaceted. We are multidimensional as well, I have to say, because a lot of people ask so where do you get that confidence to continue to do it and to show up? And you, you even asked, like, my the image of myself, I guess two things. Um, I told you my father is like a tough guy, right? So I've always had this uh, invisible sign on my forehead, but many people can read, which is like, don't mess with me. I wasn't born yesterday. But I also have my mother's uh, softness that, you know, like, you can talk to me, you know, you can, you can share. What I get um, gauge from your, from your Instagram post is exactly that, that you have boundaries, and you know what your standards are. And people are not going to push you around or tell you who you are and how to behave. Yeah. But at the same time, there's that softness, that femininity, that passion, that love. And it's a really good balance for a Jewish woman because one thing, they're not mutually exclusive and one thing doesn't have to contradict the other. And when you strike the perfect balance, when you could be a strong, powerful woman, this is me, this is my identity, don't mess with me. But on the other hand, 
you pull people onto the dance floor and we're going to rejoice in our Judaism. I think that's really what strikes a chord in your followers. And again, like yeah. I said, I, I've, you know, I grew up from and I've baked challah. I've attempted to bake challah and I've spoken to many people who, who are passionate about it. But there's something very special about what you're doing. And your neshama comes through but also your strong Jewish identity. And it's not just something that happened by accident. You could see that you have a strong connection to Hashem and that you work on your midos and that you struggle like everybody else, you know, and, and you express yeah. that. I see how your your journey here in Israel is transforming you, how deeply you're connecting to the land. And I want to discuss that a little bit as well, um, how that's been for you. I'm here five years and I, I love it every single day. And I can't imagine how you're going to wrap up this year and go back to Canada. <laughs> Maybe you're not going to, but um, tell me a little bit about how Israel has inspired you and what you hope to take away from this um, experience here, being here a full year. Yeah. First of all, every time I've stepped onto this land, every time I see it coming you know, on approach, I always say, oh my God, I'm home. I'm home. I, I've lived less time here. My home is in Toronto, but for some reason I see it, I step on it and I just feel at home. Um, and that I thank my parents every day that I was born in Israel because I have this uh, complex where like I was born here, (laughs) you know, like, I have an Israeli passport. Totally. Um, I felt that and, way during COVID, by the way, because there were no tourists. And I'm here with my Israeli passport. Okay, I'm far from an Israeli, at least in the beginning. But I really felt proud. Like, we are the people stuck here. We are the Israelis stuck in Israel right now. Yeah. So that I totally get that. Yeah. And listen, um, my husband and I are both actually Israelis. So the children, by virtue, are Israelis as well. And I wanted that for them. I want to, them to have the same complex, like, this is my home. We are visitors. We are, thank God, treated well in Canada, uh, but we are visitors. And I know that that's that's a harder thing for American Jews, by the way. Um, and and I've had those that discourse on on my platform. But uh, I have always been told by my parents, we are visitors, um, and it's a good place to live. Um, and and home, Israel, is always your home, but it's a difficult place to live, and it's a hard place to live. And t- just don't go back home, you know. Don't go back home. And so I had to seek out, and this is what I I always tell people. It's like, I appreciate everything my parents have given me, my identity, my, my character, you know, all these things, but I had to take my own Lech Lecha journey. I had to see this land, our people, our connection. Through your own eyes. I had to, it's not even through my own eyes. It's, I had to let my soul lead me, not my heart, not my head. I'm very, um, I always say I'm a optimist realist. I know exactly what's in front of me and I hope for the best. I'm not, I'm not disillusioned about the problems and the challenges and the difficulty and my Israeli, you know, can come out. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you actually, you write in the times of Israel about your experiences here and to be a writer and to be able to express that, you know, the different dimensions that you process Israel yeah. in. Yeah, that, that you, you are a thinker and you get it. So. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that's um, and that's what being here is. It's it's layered. And it's like, I always thought the Kotel was a 70 meter wall. And then last month I go and I'm climbing down and down and down and realize the length. And, and I'm like, this whole time I was focusing on 70 meters when I'm like, what? 
there's this whole other, you know, layered. Is that not world. an analogy for everything? It is, but it, but it is because it's like, why am I the way I am? Why did my parents make the decisions they did? It's, it's what happened to them. And what happened to them is what happened to their parents. And what happened to their parents happened to their parents. And on and on and on we go all the way to 2,200 years ago. And so the, the amazing thing I feel for every single Jew, I don't care how connected you are, but if you are waking up in 2023 saying, I'm a Jew, for me, that's like, I, I don't, we're not the firework kind of people. We're not the big explosion, rah, rah, rah. We are the small match in a very dark room, an infinite light. And to me, to be in Israel, it's like uncovering a history, a, 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 things that were suppressed. Even in Israel, you can see in, in Jerusalem, it's built upon upon destruction. It's rebuilt upon, you know, uh, different empires that have come here and, and different people that have come. And, and so for me, it's just like taking taking off those layers and going a little bit deeper and also looking at the people that live here that are also a product of what their parents went through and their parents went through and their parents went through. And so while, you know, the media in Israel is kind of no different than the media anywhere else, because let's call it a spade a spade. They have an agenda. And they have an agenda. My agenda is to look at my children. And so my children would say, I am who I am because of who my parents are. And the buck stops with me. I always say the buck stops with me. There is a trauma and a drama that every Jewish family has because of what happened to us that we carry with us and it bleeds into the next generation. And it's the reason why we either have our faith that guides us through fear with God versus joy. I always say the highest compliment you can give to God is to serve him with joy. I, I'm there's enough things to be scared of. And I know that Hashem runs the world and that's fearful enough because you look what's happening. But if I can come to Hashem with joy, I mean, that's the highest compliment. Maybe I don't know everything, but Hashem knows I don't know everything. And maybe I don't do it all right, but Hashem knows I'm not doing it all right. But I don't have this otherworldly perception about who we are because I've taken the time to understand who we are. And so being in Israel helps me understand who we are from the, not from hearsay, not from a book, but from an actual immersive experience. So instead of saying, oh yeah, I love the taste of challah, or um, oh yeah, I know like all the ingredients in challah. It's like, I can say, oh no, I know. I know where challah comes from. I know how to make it. I know how it tastes. I know when it's used. I know how other people experience it. it it's it's a fully immersive experience. It's it's the, and it's, and by the way, it's very scary. I, I want to be very open, honest with this. I think it's very scary to uh, have a revelation, have a spiritual awakening, coming to Israel. Everyone's like, oh, you're so brave, which I get it. I left a very comfortable life to come to Israel, which I live a very meaningful life. I don't want to say it's fully comfortable. I have comfort, thank God. But, it, you know, let's not compare uh, standards. I want to say that it's very scary to live in fear, it's scarier to come into your light, to come into your truth and say, this is who I am. This is who we are. This is what I believe. This is how I want to live. Because when you are like, this is me, that's great. Good for you. Ra, ra, halamama, not ishai. <laughs> but you have to deal with the ripples. You have to deal with the reality of how it affects 
your inner circle, your outer circle, the broader community. And, and that's why, and you've said this before, and it's true. I have boundaries. I have boundaries because we all need to protect ourselves. And so much of how I've learned to protect myself is through Jewish wisdom in the same way of like, how did, what's the Aaron Kodesh? How is it protected? Who am I on the inside? I'm gold on the inside, even though, you know, I, my scars, my flaws, whatever on the outside look a little, I'm still gold on the inside. I'm still me. And coming to Israel, I said, I'm not going to lose me. Like I, I'll have the spiritual awakening. I'll let people in. They can see the, the height of, of spiritual, you know, you know, uh, depth and also an elevation. But if I'm scared, I'm going to let you know. If it was a hard day because terrorist attacks are happening, I'm going to let you know. If I'm feeling off, I'm going to let you know because that's the human condition. Because as high as we go is as deep as we need to to collect ourselves, right? We need to, it, it's, it, it's balance, balance. Amazing. I, I, what's so beautiful to me is that challah has been uh, part of our Jewish tradition, passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years. You know, we connect to our heritage, we connect with our culture, so meaningful. And, you know, that whole experience of Hafrash's challah, obviously it's a mitzvah, it's mandated in Jewish law, but you have found such a profound way to express um, gratitude with every single video that you um, create. None of them are just shallow and superficial and silly. They're all, and, and I'm not saying that's, you know, we, we once in a while, we can't just have a good time. I'm all for that. But clearly you've struck a chord with your audience and you've done it through baking of bread, something that, you know, Sarah Imenu did thousands of years ago in her tent. Who would have believed that you could reach as many people as she did? It's amazing. Like with modern technology, you've really pushed it and, and, and made an opportunity for you to express these beautiful values that you have and to connect with Jewish women and men around the world who are inspired by that. I love the last line of this essay that you wrote in the Times of Israel. I just want to read it because it's just, it gave me the chills. You wrote, making chalas is taking something ordinary and making something extraordinary. It's taking something physical and making something spiritual, making it spiritual. It's taking something mundane and making it holy. All this time I thought I was making challah, but the challah was making me, molding me and helping me rise to become who I am today. I have to say that you are incredible. And I knew I would love you. I knew I would love you from, <laughs> from the, the moment I reached out to you. And I do want to bake challah with you one day and connect on that level because I am pitiful in the kitchen. And, <laughs> and, and I know that it's something spiritual that is lacking because if I could bake challah with the awareness that it's bringing all this bracha into my home, then perhaps I could have the patience <laughs> to do the recipe correctly and take the time to, you know, make the beautiful loaves that you do. I'm not going to dance with them because I don't dance. Maybe I'll sing with them. But yeah, it's it, you've inspired even me, honestly, and I'm grateful for that. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, Every single challah loaf that comes my way in a picture that I open up my phone after Shabbat, I'm just like, wow, people, people are... Um, People are doing the mitzvah. The, the, they're doing the mitzvah. It's a huge it. chus. Doing it. It's a huge yeah. chus. Yeah. And it's I'm, like, I, even if they're not saying the blessing, even if they're not, but but they're making it and they're they're just taking that turtle step just like me. And um, and it, it gives me so much strength and so much energy to continue doing it, um, to continue spreading, spreading my light and illuminating, being part of just 
illuminating my piece of the world that I can impact. We all have that opportunity. We all have that responsibility. Absolutely. And I want to thank you for using your light for good things. And uh, I hope thank to you. bump into you sooner than later. Thank you so much for being here, Inai. Thank you. So there you have it, episode 85 of the Weekly Squeeze. Don't forget to check out my show notes. Click on okclarity.com and support our sponsors. They are the ones who keep the show rolling twice a week, Monday and Thursdays. Leave me a five-star review. Drop a link to the show in a WhatsApp group. Join the Weekly Squeeze WhatsApp group and stay safe wherever you are. I will see you on Thursday.